Coming up on the show, I talk with Jen Palamo, comic writer and the mother of one on the spectrum. So stay tuned. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Inside Asperger Studios with Jen Palomo, mother of one on the spectrum, comic and a writer. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you. Same here. So what kind of questions do you have for me? I, um, just to, to brief your, your listeners. So my son is eight years old. Mm-hmm. He was diagnosed with autism when he was 18 months um, and he is verbal, um, but very speech delayed. And so there are so many things I can't communicate with him on or get an understanding of. And one of the things that we've just gone through is we just moved. And of course, we're going through the pandemic. And my son is definitely someone who seems to like predictability, routines, and even like I changed um, a lampshade and my husband didn't notice, but, but Michael did. <laughs> like he notices any, you know, stray from the typical. And so he's been having a lot of meltdowns and you can talk to experts and I have, and they give me their thoughts on how to help with the meltdown. But what I'm curious about is, cause we do have different things to help him calm down. What, is a meltdown experience like for someone on the spectrum? Because I don't even know if it's that he can't regulate his feelings, if he has an emotion that he can't identify. I don't know. I know what can trigger meltdown, but I I would love to know if you have any insight on what is going on in those moments. Well, a melt. Well, I haven't had many meltdowns in my life, but I have a friend who's had them, and I've written an article on a meltdown on my blog. A meltdown is basically, if you think in computer terms, a blue screen. Your mind Mm. gets overwhelmed with so much stimulation, it can't handle it, and your mind resets. And when you melt down, that's when you start crying and screaming, and you need that calming feeling. You need a place to go to relax. That's why they say when you have a meltdown, don't bother the person. They know what they need. I had a guest uh, two shows ago whose daughters had meltdowns and all, I mean, her husband, her son, and her daughter all are on the spectrum. And when wow. they come home, they go right to the rooms to calm down for like 45 minutes because of all the stimulation from school. Yeah. So basically a meltdown is over stim- your brain getting overstimulated. Think of it as sending your son off to school and he's got things like you're rushing him and his tags on his clothing are irritating him, the noise on the bus and everything else. And and then add on, it's his first day. And all that right. stimulation is just go, gnawing at his head until his brain just overloads and then he breaks down. 
Yeah. And we do have a calm down corner for him. And you're, you're so spot on. Of course, when he comes home, he does not want to talk to any of us. (laughs) 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 He immediately retreats. Um, But he does have a calm down corner, but there was something that happened that I thought was interesting. And I, I don't know if you have again, any Intel on it, but one time he was having a meltdown on his own, meaning, you know, that day, I don't know exactly what triggered him. I think him and my husband got into a, a debate about whether or not he could play with the iPad. So he was screaming and crying and screaming and crying. It was going on and on and on. And it was late. And so I was very tired. Um, and I got out of bed. I walked into his room. I didn't even say anything. I just went to the calm down corner and, and motioned him to come to me. And he sat down next to me. I put a weighted blanket on us. And I do this thing where I count with him and rub each finger. So I do Mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five. And he loves that. And after, but again, I've never said anything to him. So there were no prompts to him. But after we did that a couple of times and he calmed down, he looked at me and said, thank you. And I was, I, 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 I even get emotional about it because I felt like he was saying that he genuinely couldn't get himself out of it. That happens sometimes. I mean, there are people who get into have meltdowns and it's just hard to get out because you're stuck in the loop. Yeah. And you just need, that's why they tell officers don't bother someone with a meltdown because they don't understand it. No, not at all. But that's why they, they have cards now that I suggest you look into that say that your concern hand can hand to someone of authority that says I'm on the spectrum. This is what you need to do. Right. And you know, I had recently written an article for Forbes on this about the police not understanding even not even a meltdown, but some of the spectrum's behaviors and some police are taking it as being obstinate mm-hmm. or not following directions or that the person's on drugs. Um, and it's, it's a huge problem with law enforcement. It's huge everywhere. I mean, my friends sent me two different articles of the police mishandling and brutalizing someone on spectrum and wanting and them winding up in the hospital. That's, oh, I believe it. I've always been a proponent of that the police need to be taught how to handle those of us on the spectrum. Or even just to, if not handle, at least recognize is on the spectrum to then get someone who can handle them. Um, something else I did want to ask you, do you have any siblings? And if so, are they neurotypical? Yes, I have an older brother. He's a chef. He's a neurotypical. I have two nephews. They're both my youngest nephew, I believe, is on the spec not on the spectrum, but he's got ADHD, I have a feeling. But they all understand me, which I'm very thankful of. And my oh, yeah. family understands me. I mean, I've gotten into trouble where because of the non-filter, I've said things to family members that upset them. And the call goes back to my parents. And then next thing I know, my mom and dad are yelling at me saying, why did you say this, this, and that? Now we have to explain to them that you're on the spectrum, that you don't have a filter, and you need to apologize to them. Oh, God. That's awkward. Yeah, it is very (laughs) awkward. Well, and 
so Michael, we have a, um, I have a younger son named Matthew who's neurotypical and he's five mm -hmm. and he talks a lot. And during the pandemic, especially he likes to be social where, where my, you know, Michael doesn't. And so I, I genuinely think there are times where Matthew, just by his sheer existence overwhelms Michael because he gets Michael for the most part, but because he wants a playmate, he'll talk and talk and talk. And Michael, I think lacks the, the, you know, the speech skills to be like, Hey, you're annoying me. And so he ends up just pushing him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, Matthew sort of gets it, but, um, in your relationship with your siblings, did that like, was there like a learning curve as you were all growing up? Kind of, sort of. I mean, my, I still do stupid things and my brother will just look at me and go, what are you retarded? Oh, <laughs> you see, one of the biggest things you're going to have to teach your son is that the, oh, the, the, the world doesn't understand us. Right. And that, you need to express yourself to those out there. Otherwise, they're not going to pick up on our verbal cues. And one of the things you right. are going to understand raising him is, and I'm pretty sure one of the questions you want and you want to know is what, how our minds think. Yeah, we absolutely. The way I like to describe it is think of yourself, think of your son on, you know, how a highway has got, you got your fast, your medium and your slow speeds. Right. Well, think of your son on that middle road and all he, but he doesn't see that road. He sees the other two roads. So he, we only see right or wrong. We don't see that gray line. Yeah. So if you make a joke, he's not going to get it unless you explain it to him. That's true. He's very literal. I, I can't remember what it was, but I said something to him the other day. And he, he took it so literally. And I'm, I'm a very jokey, sarcastic person, but I can't be that way with him. He'll take it of too course, seriously. you're a comic. I mean, it's, you're, you're, I'm pretty sure your comedy comes out raising your kids. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and we do have some jokes about it because, so when we tell people that he's on the spectrum, because my husband's a, a comic as well, oh. they, we get questions like, oh, does he have any superpowers? And I'm like, he's not radioactive. Like no. he's not the autistic spectrum. No, like they, but, um, they take uh what is it, Rain Man as if it was a documentary. No, but um one of the people I should I really suggest you have him read about is Greta I'm pretty sure you've heard of her name in the um in your research, it's Greta Thomberg. Yes. She is yes. on the spectrum. She's she considers her her ASDA superpower because she is so brilliant at what she, what she hyper focuses on, which is the climate change. Right. My um, life coach told me another person by the name. I don't know if you ever heard of her, Rachel Barcelona. She was Miss no, Florida. I and she is a huge advocate on the spectrum as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I saw the HBO, this is right when Michael had been diagnosed. I saw the HBO movie about Temple Grandin. And I knew, I know, I feel like the more I, I learn about Temple Grandin, she's kind of a little bit of a polarizing figure. Mm -hmm. Some love her, some not so much. But the thing that I learned from the HBO movie, uh, 
you know, with Claire Danes was she, because of how her brain works, had an understanding into, you know, animals that that neurotypical people don't have. And so I remember seeing that when all this was going on with Michael. And I remember like people's parents talk about going through a period of denial. And for some reason I never did. I was like, okay, he's on the spot. I don't know. I just didn't, I just accepted it. And I think it's partly because of that movie, because I was like, okay, he just has a different ability. And I just need to figure out what that is. I don't know what it is yet. There are certain things he does that are really amazing. Um, you know, he's great at math and he always remembers what date he saw a movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. I kind of love that, to be honest with you. He's almost um, got that Rayman mentality of that memory of what you've done in the past. Yes. Because if we say, oh, um, do you want to watch Onward? He's like, Onward, we saw that on March 23rd. Like, he remembers the date. So Jeez. it's just, the, I think, to me, and I'm not even necessarily an overly optimistic person, but I think everyone on the spectrum, it's just they have something that's a little different than us, you know, neurotypicals, and we just need to figure out what that is and then help that to flourish. I don't know well, your thoughts on that. Well, one of the best... Before I got diagnosed with um, ASD, when I was older, I was diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, yeah. And one of the, this seems to happen a lot. Yeah. Like, they, they go the wrong way initially. Do you know if Michael has ADHD as well? You know, I don't. I don't know. His, his symptoms were so, and that was another thing I get asked by a lot of parents, a lot of parents, because I got him diagnosed so early at 18 months. We actually had him evaluated at 15 months and people asked how I knew he wasn't pointing. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people dismiss that one, but it's, it's a shared attention. And I've had this one mother was like, oh, my son's not pointing. And then I realized it's probably just because I don't point. And I was like, no, it has nothing to do with you. It's, it's like a, uh, an, uh, what do they call it? Like an innate thing that children do is point um, because they want you to look at something with them. So he wasn't pointing. He wasn't saying a lot. He was taking cars you know, like math box cars and rolling them over and over again, rolling them towards him, looking at the wheels. He just had so many symptoms. And we were in Brooklyn at the time. We got him evaluated at 15 months and they said he was fine. And I appealed it. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, he's not fine. No. And it was like a court case where we really had to make a huge argument that he wasn't. Um, and my aunt actually works with children on the spectrum. So she was a huge asset to me. So I, that's how I got him such early intervention at 18 months because I appealed it. But the reality is, and again, I don't know, uh, and I'd love to hear at what age you got diagnosed. I think parents don't even know they have that option or they don't want to accept there's a problem. And so they don't push it. Um, but I pushed it because you can create new neuro pathways before age three. And I wanted to get the hell in there as early as possible. Right. Um, so what age were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed. And then again with ADHD. I was diagnosed with ADHD early on. In high school, I was in special ed. In grammar school, I was in special ed. But I wasn't diagnosed with ASD until later in life, until I have, had, I have 
two family members that are psychiatrists. One is a school was a school psychiatrist. One was a regular one, and a cousin who's a lawyer. And they all turned to my mother and said, "Read exhibits the um, personality traits of someone who's on the spectrum." And that's when things started lighting up for my parents, and like ah, that explains why he acts the way he does. Right. So then I started seeing therapists and this and that. And then one of the most unusual cases was when I was away at school, I made a lot of good friends. And then after I graduated, I kept in touch with one of them. And one day I'm talking with a friend of mine and she goes, can I ask you a personal question? And I'm like, sure. And out of the blue, she goes, do you have Asperger's? I'm like, what makes you say that? She's like, well, I work with younger kids who are on the spectrum and you exhibit some of those traits being over friendly, not knowing when to say something, very talkative. I'm like, yeah, those are all my traits. She's like, she's like, have you seeked help or anything? I'm like, no, but I'm working on it. <laughs> but um, do you feel that after, because that was the big thing they told us during early intervention, because it's birth to three to three years old, that you can make changes after three, but it's just sort of a, a malleable time for the brain. But do you feel that even though maybe you didn't get the exact, not to put words in your mouth, but that you didn't get that diagnosis earlier on, do you still feel you were able to make any adjustments once you were properly diagnosed? Not adjustments, but it, things started explaining itself to me. Yeah. I mean... When I went away to school, my parents sent me right out of high school to college to a special school in Wisconsin, in Oshkosh, that was known for special ed. They had really good tutoring programs and everything. And one of the things was we got to sit down and talk with former students who were were in the program. And this one kid to me said, do you have any questions? I'm like, yeah, why am I much slower than the rest? And he says, well, read the, the best way to describe it is the way our minds work is a regular student can finish their work in an hour. It'll take us two hours because it takes us one hour to process it and another hour to understand it. Oh, wow. And then that just, yeah. rang, that just rang true in my head. Well, I think even I would guess understanding or just even knowing that you have like you learn more about the condition all of a sudden it kind of you're like oh (laughs) that makes more sense now something that's come up a lot because i do write often about autism and it's always funny that the parents of children on the spectrum usually write positive things Mm -hmm. and if anyone has is on the spectrum and reads some of my articles and i don't know if you've read any i read all of them actually when you asked me to read them, I read them. Oh my God, you're so good. Um, but some, like there was one about the pandemic and it, I guess one of the people I interviewed, she mentioned ABA therapy mm-hmm. and I got an email from someone on the spectrum. And to be clear, I never have a problem with anyone from the spectrum giving me feedback on my articles because I don't have the spectrum. I don't have a clue. And so I have been very educated by the people that have reached out to me. But this one woman said that she was very triggered by the 
therapist comments on ABA. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if she, if the therapist actually said you have to do ABA, but no. she was, she couldn't even read the article. It upset her so much. And I feel terrible. Well, if I'm right, and I'll have to talk to my friend after this, but I think ABA treatment is almost like what you do with a dog. Yeah. No, and a that. lot of and a lot of people on the spectrum are so against that. That's yeah. why another thing you're gonna need to keep your eye out for is in the autism community, I've learned this is everyone is against the puzzle piece. Oh because the company or the organization that uses it doesn't believe in is more trying to get rid of it instead of trying to figure out how it works. Yes. And then, I've heard that feedback as well. I didn't know that about the puzzle piece specifically. So that's really good to know. And the other piece, the other thing, um, um, symbol is the autism symbol in gold, the, um, infinity symbol. Yeah. So it's awareness versus acceptance. That's really interesting. So most and of it's, it's, I was going to say, it's funny because I, I, I get very upset. So I had Michael through um, in vitro through IVF because mm-hmm. I was having trouble getting pregnant. And, and then my younger son, it was like a surprise baby. And I've been asked if I think Michael's autistic because of IVF or because I had him vac- vaccinated which I want to strangle if they ask me that because it, to me, it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you, I, what's the point of that? I, A, I don't believe in either that. I don't think it has to do with uh, IVF. There's too many IVF babies that are not on the spectrum. And I don't believe in the vaccine connection. I'm sorry. I've I've done research on my own and I just don't. And what, the implication to me as a parent, not only is you caused your son's autism, which is kind of saying that autism is bad. And I contend it's really not. It's difficult to navigate as a parent. Sometimes I truly don't understand my child, but it's not bad. It's just really different. I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on any of that? Yeah. I mean, I literally did a a show on my blog called different is okay. Imagine (laughs) because I want those out there to realize that, Hey, you're unique. You're different than everyone else. There are more of us than there are them. Believe it or not, there probably are because you're finding out more and more people are on the spectrum every day, but I want people to embrace their uniqueness, embrace their difference and stand out from the crowd. As we all should. And I think that's the thing. I think it could be a gift, as I was saying before, if you figure out what talent, for lack of a better word, but what, what, what unique is, skill is to that person and then just figure out how to flourish that. One thing I absolutely have to ask you, because I don't want to forget. Um, well, it's kind of a two-part question, but very often... If Michael's doing something that is a little out of the ordinary, um, you know, if he's scripting, he scripts a lot. Um, or you mean like journaling? No, he basically will memorize something mm. 
either something from an app, something from a movie, and sometimes just go into it and repeat it. Um, and you know, he'll do that to, I think, sometimes calm himself down. Sometimes he just thinks it's really funny. He'll like listen to one thing over and over and over again on the iPad, um, which I kind of am good at tuning out, but it drives my husband nuts. But I'll say to people, I'm very open about it when I introduce him or when people come to the house, Michael has autism or he's on the autistic spectrum. So that's one. The, the part of that I wanted to ask you is, is that bad that I'm explaining it to people? I just want them to understand that's why he's behaving differently. But then the second thing kind of related to that, that there's so much debate about and that I still don't know how to handle is do you say I have autism or I am autistic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. well, he's on the spectrum. Because there's been some debate. Like I am I am more than autism. So I'm I I guess I don't know how to I want to say it in a way that won't offend him. Easy. Nowadays it's all under one title, ASD. Autism spectrum yeah. disorder. So do I say he has ASD or he is ASD? You say he has ASD. Okay. And that's what people in t- in That's the thing I was, I've read different things from different people. Um, I mean, and ultimately I would love if he would tell me his preference, but I don't, I don't know. I don't then, even know if he understands any of it. And then for you, it's very important that you let your friends, your family, anyone who comes to the house, hey, Michael has ASD, so he may do things differently. And then this way they can accept it and understand it this way if he starts acting weird around them they understand yeah and you know for the most part people people really are that and and i kind of i i i think sometimes it makes people uncomfortable that i'm so that i just bring it up like well my Mm -hmm. child is on the spectrum but nobody's done anything wrong i haven't he hasn't it's just I want them to be aware because sometimes he does do things, nothing wildly inappropriate, but he does things differently. No, I mean, I I do things a little strangely too. I mean, I'll rub my hands when I get excited or something or or I'll say something or I'll watch something over and over or I'll repeat an incident that has happened before back and forth my head or I'll talk it over and So, I mean, I'll do weird things too, but it's normal. It's It's called stimming. Right. It's something to help yes. us relax. And so my very last question, because I know we only have a couple of minutes left, is as a parent, is, do you have any particular advice that you think parents aren't aware of when they have children? One of the biggest things is any parent needs to realize is that we think differently than most. Like I told you before, we we don't see that gray area and people need to understand that. If you understand that and you understand that our minds think differently than others, then, then they can move on with their lives and understand how their kids' minds work. Yeah. That's so great. I mean, and I, I just, I, I, I could cry. This is such a great conversation. I appreciate you talking to me. I really, I feel like sometimes I'm a better advocate for Michael than I am a parent. <laughs> I mean, well, you've done a lot of research and I commend you on that. I mean, you've talked to many, many experts from all over. Yes. 
I mean, yeah, and, but I but I still think there's nothing as more valuable. Like all these people have done studies, but it's not the same as talking to someone who is experiencing it. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's incredible insight. I mean, I can give you a good insight of what what I consider to have a meltdown is when I was going to school. I was all excited. Everything, everything was leading up to it and then the day comes i'm fine i'm calm we get to the airport and the guy at the gate or at the terminal tells us you're only allowed one parent with you to go to the gate Mm. and i have everything else working on me i'm overexcited i'm nervous i'm scared i'm gonna be gone for a year and every and i'm just begging them and pleading and all of a sudden I just break down and crying and my dad just turns to turns to my mother and is like your mother will go with you but fortunately for me the gate had a glass barrier where my father can sit on the other side and see me oh nice but I was still crying and my father didn't understand this and all he can say to me because he didn't understand what was happening is you're going to quiet, calm down. You're embarrassing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then the minute I got on that plane, it's like a wave just went over me and I was calm. It does seem like it's like a switch because Michael will be so upset, so upset, so upset. And then as soon as I calm him down, he'll like do this cleansing breath and be like, I'm okay now. And then it's like totally behind him. It's just getting him to that place where he can calm down. Usually, I mean, one of my articles I wrote, crying is a way of cleansing. Yeah. It's a way of your brain resetting itself and, and calming itself down. And then when it's over, it's over. Yeah. It's just riding through, I think, that, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, and I, I think that's the meltdowns are the most upsetting to me because you can see there's so much going on with him. And sometimes I can reach him. Sometimes I have to wait for him to get mm-hmm. to where I can reach him. The other day he was, you know, we moved and it's been, it's been very difficult for him. I, was, I, I recreated his room as mm-hmm. much as I could and got him every, like we have this calm down corner and his beautiful beanbag and his desk. And I mean, I really made every effort, but it's still difficult. And he had this meltdown where he threw the calm down jar, I have a calm down jar, and kicked something. And I just basically sat there waiting for him. And then he got that out of his system. And then he sat down next to me and we did the weighted blanket and things. But it's it takes tremendous patience, but mm-hmm. it, it's hard not to, I, I just always feel powerless in those moments. How is he with like handling aggression? Has he gotten like where he wants to punch something or hit something or? Oh yeah. Explode. Yeah. It's, it's weird. One of his triggers is it's so bizarre. Even his teacher is like, I, I don't know if someone does something that they shouldn't do. And a teacher is talking to them. He feels like he has to get involved <laughs> and like write that wrong. And it's the same thing with our younger son. If Matthew does something and we're 
putting Matthew on timeout, Michael feels like he has to get involved in some way. And, and honestly, I think one of the biggest triggers is my younger son, Matthew, that Matthew is doing something he shouldn't be doing. And that's what sets Michael off. I don't know why. Well, it's, I mean, that's that, it's, that's that um, right or wrong, no gray. It's like, I can tell you countless times where my parents would be telling a story and I feel, and I know they made a mistake in telling the story and I'll be like, but no, you're wrong. And then later my parents will pull me aside and say, you know, you embarrass me. You got to learn to wait till we're done. And then you tell us in private. Is that helpful to you? Yes. I mean, one of the biggest things that's helpful is to tell that person right there and then, because then your mind can understand it, register it, and it won't happen again or they can self-correct if they want to. There were countless times where I, when I volunteered that I've been told that I was standing too close to another volunteer and they volunteered didn't tell me like a week later, I get told by my supervisor and I'm thinking, why didn't that person just come to me and tell me so I can auto correct. And then it happened again and they waited and then it happened again and they let me go. Wow. That makes sense, though, that what you're saying about saying it in the moment, because then you can recognize it's happening at that moment. Yes, that's very important. Always tell him in that moment. So if he's going to correct you, you say, listen, there's a time and a place for it, but I understand you're right. I understand your correctness, but you don't tell me when I'm telling a story. You tell me in private. So you don't embarrass me and yourself. Yeah, that that's that's really, and it's funny. I don't know if I do that or not. I sometimes it's just funny though. He'll he when it's very unique. He can meet someone and he immediately loves them. He'll like tell them that he loves them. He's like, you know, I love you or I missed you, and he just met them. Yeah. And I don't like that. Is weird. That is weird. Um, I mean, there are times where I've. Like, I guess it's called false affection, where you fall yeah. for somebody you, you meet immediately. Yeah. That, you don't know how to express it, I guess, maybe in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, I, I mean, I've had plenty of times where my parents have literally had to pull me aside and tell me, you're doing wrong, I understand, but they don't understand you. People don't understand you, so you can't share your affection to others. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest faults is I tend to talk too much. And my mom, when I've had interviews, my parents will always tell me, even my mother, is you can't be over-talkative. Don't share too much. Right. Only answer what they want to have answered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with Michael, I I just wonder, because he, he is speech delayed. He it's really hard to have a conversation with him. And sometimes he'll talk and say things kind of off topic, but I just wonder if there's ever going to be a time where I'll have an actual conversation with him. You will, as he starts getting older and understanding his own self, he'll understand, like he'll start to work around things and build things and put things together in his mind. Like, Oh, that's why. I mean, one of the best stories of my ADHD is, 
when I was in high school, my parents would get calls all the time saying, Reed's not staying still in class. He's fidgety. He's not focused. And then one day they realized I'm focused in one class and it was a subject I loved. Now with a lot of oh. autistic people, they have something they're really good at. It could be math. It could be programming. It could be graphic arts. And when they use, put their hyper focus into it, you'll find that with Michael is he'll find a topic he loves and then he'll focus on that topic and only that topic. Yeah. And that's his hyper focus. And then you're, as he starts to get older, he'll finally discover his creativity. And then, oh, I can't wait. And then he'll take his hyper focus and that creativity and something beautiful come out of that. Well, that is my ultimate goal. I mean, like I said, I'm always looking for what interests him the most. And then I will, I'm ready to invest. I'm ready to go all in to help support whatever that interest is. How is he with sensory issues? He's not great. Um, he just recently, and again, you know, he's eight, just got used to getting his haircut. The haircut was horrible. We would have to go there before the place opened because um, he would scream and cry the whole time. But he, he's gotten much better at it. But, you know, you were mentioning tags before. Mm -hmm. We always have to cut out tags in every outfit. He doesn't like hats. Mm. He hates Halloween. He just like, has no interest in Halloween, <laughs> you know, getting dressed up or any of that um so he he definitely has sensory issues yeah a lot um, of them. a really good company for like comfortable underwear and stuff really soft he is me undies oh really yeah i subscribe to them and they're very comfortable very soft and they they're a subscription company and you get underwear and you can get socks even shirts i think and I have never even heard of it. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, they're very comfortable. I mean, I've only heard of it through like other podcasters and stuff that, that have sponsored them. And they're yeah. very, I wear them and they're very comfortable and they have great design. They should sponsor your, your, your show. Well, I'm trying to get them to sponsor my show. But they're very. You should, because I never even heard of it until you brought it up. But he, that's, I mean, it's exactly right. He doesn't like, like even we had picture day at school yesterday. Mm -hmm. I can't dress him up the same way I would dress up my younger son because he doesn't like certain pullovers, yeah. certain fabrics. So, you know, you kind of have to work within what he's comfortable with. Yeah, one of my guests told me her son doesn't like walking barefoot on grass. Yeah, I can I can believe I it. I mean, tags are a big thing. I One of the best places for you to look, there are tons of autism groups on Facebook. And I was talking with people and this one girl doesn't like tags and Disney world was so accepting of that. They found, they got them shirts with no tags. They helped them oh, deal wow. with lines and everything else. When we went to Disney world, I think it was 2019 for the most part. I don't think he actually loved Disney world to be honest with you, but Disney world in and of itself was very accommodating. Um, but I think he didn't, he liked the roller coasters, but he didn't like the people, the crowds. No. He didn't like the experience of Disney at all. See, th there are two types in my own my, in perspective. There are two types of autistics. There are those who are introverted and those mm. who are extroverted. I'm more of an extrovert. I can deal with crowds. 
Michael sounds like more of an introvert where he can't handle crowds. It just all the people getting too close and all the contact. It just sounds like it drives him nuts. Yeah, he is not. And, and that's the, it's as a parent, it's difficult having because Matthew is so extroverted, mm-hmm. always wants to talk, always wants friends, hates being alone. And Michael always wants to be alone. He prefers to be with one person. He's great with one-on-one. And like, if we're going to go out somewhere, he'll be like, can I just stay home with mommy? Or, you know, he just, he is very introverted, which is really fine. It's just difficult trying to plan family activities when one wants to go, like with all these people and this other one, like wants no part of it. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. I mean, I had a neighbor's friend's husband her daughter's husband can't stand crowds. I mean, he came to my graduation party and then 10, 15 minutes later when it got a lot of people, he, he left. Yeah. Where I, I can deal with it because, I mean, my sister-in-law has got a huge family. We've gone to Thanksgivings, Christmases, and it's a lot of people. And I can deal with it. And then what I'll do usually is when it just gets enough, I'll walk away somewhere to a quieter place just to quiet down, to quiet my mind. How is he with yes. sleep? He is not great. He goes to bed decently, but he wakes up very early. No matter what we do, he wakes up early. How, what time is early? I mean, for me, it's 6, 7 o'clock. For him, it's, it could be 4 or 5 a.m. Um, and it's weird because one, the one time he slept from like 8 to 8, was we were actually visiting my parents and he fell asleep in my mom's bed. He loves my Nana, his Nana, which is my mother, Mm -hmm. loves Nana. And I don't know if it's being with her. I don't know if it was the bed, but we were floored. He like crawled up in her bed. They were watching a movie together. He fell asleep. That's the only time I can think of that. He like went to bed at eight and woke up at eight in the morning. It could be the comfort of the bed. I mean, it could be a lot of different things that made him feel comfortable. Yeah. I mean, for some reason, him and my mom, and she's very, she's not on the spectrum, but she's very quiet and introverted too. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, but they have a very special bond and it's, it's really sweet. He says when he, um, he grows up, he wants to marry uh, his Nana, which <laughs> obviously you can't do. No. <laughs> But she loved the compliment, but yeah, it meant a lot to her. But um, yeah, sensory is a big thing. I don't have many, but how is he with things like smell and touch, taste? He, it's, he only eats beige food, honest to God. Bananas, wow. mac and cheese, grilled cheese. I'm trying to think of what else, popcorn. I don't know. It's the funniest thing. It's just beige food. It's so hard to get him to eat anything that's another color or texture or even try something new. And then, oh, chicken nuggets, too, also beige. If we get a different brand of chicken nuggets, if we get a different brand of popcorn, he he cannot have it. Yeah, that's huge. I have my, my neighbor's son's daughter or former neighbor's son's daughter's son was like that. He can only eat certain things like mac and cheese, chicken nuggets. Oh, it's, it's very difficult when we go to restaurants. 
Or, I mean, obviously the pandemic's actually worked in our favor because we haven't had too many family parties. But if we have like, you know, the holidays are coming, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving or Christmas, and my family's Italian, so they have a lot of, you know. I know. I mean, my sister-in-law's family is Italian too. I mean, you don't leave you don't leave their house unless you leave with a good with a um, container of the food. But when we go to people's houses, we usually end up, even we went on a, a family cruise with my parents and my sister, and we brought a lot of the food for Michael, um, which was, again, it's sort of nuts on a cruise because there's so much food, but it, it's just it's just easier. Snacks, again, that we know he'll eat that are usually primarily beige. I, I don't know. We all just sort of operate within it. Um, and I know that certain therapists have been like, oh, you've got to try to teach him flexibility and introduce him to new things. And I mean, we do try, but he's pretty friggin' set in what yeah, he I mean, wants to hard. eat or not I mean, eat. When you're dead set on something, it's hard to change their mind. Yeah. We try to, I mean, we try to do like reward system, you know, like um, even, even uh, like he loves iPads and phones and electronics. And so, you know, we'll say we'll get him a new app if he tries a carrot. <laughs> <laughs> know it's hard and, and even his pediatrician was like he's you know a little overweight and he's because he's eating you know food that probably isn't very healthy and it's 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 you know we're aware of it but we don't know how else to sneak it in and he knows you know i think one time i we made a grilled cheese sandwich and i like mushed up carrots and like put a little bit in and yeah he he was on to us very quickly if i even put water in his milk um, to try to get some water in there. He can tell if it's watered down. He's very observant. Interesting. Well, I don't know. I don't know how long the, the programs are, but I do uh, want to make sure. I, I We can talk as long as we want, really. Oh. <laughs> because one-on-one, it's normally unlimited time. Well, I was going to just say, I wanted to make sure, just I think what you're doing is fantastic because I, uh, you know, in, in all of my research and all of my articles, um, from what I understand, 40% of children on the spectrum are nonverbal. And that to me, uh, I mean, especially, you know, I wrote a piece on sexual abuse of children on the spectrum. It was a really hard piece to write. It was very upsetting. Um because it happens way too much. I think more than people even realize. Um, And to know that there are 40% of children that can't express themselves, cannot express if something inappropriate has happened, or even just, like I said, like talk to your parents or your siblings and kind of clue them into what's going on. I think the fact that you're, you know, not that that you're, experiences everyone else's experience on the spectrum, certainly just like any other person, but to kind of help give some insight and to share your experience where maybe people can listen and and kind of get then some experience on their own children that can't speak for themselves. It's just an incredible thing to do. And so, um, you know, I I hope you know that. And Mm -hmm. uh, as a parent who really is winging it, every single day i wanted to thank you for that thank you i mean it's it's hard living through what i have i mean on top of the fact of 
having ASD with my ADHD, what makes things harder for me is I can't absorb what I learned a lot. So I, like I said, I went away to school and half of the stuff I learned, I don't remember anymore. God. And is it something that you like, you can try to get back or it's just gone? I'm not sure if it's gone or if it's there. I just don't know how to retrieve it. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't, I, well, and with Michael, I just, I know he knows math really well. He can read, but I really, like I said, I think we're, I mean, he is only eight. So I just don't know what that thing is yet. That skill is yet, but he'll find it. I mean, it could be math. I mean, he can be grow up to be a great mathematician. He could become a computer programmer. Yeah. I mean, if he loves math, I mean, he's one step above me. I stink at math. I'm terrible at it. Uh, but I mean, even it's, I don't know if it is math or computers or something, because he does love games and stuff like that. That's what I was thinking. Maybe he would be a developer or a programmer or something. But I mean, and even people sometimes like my mother will get upset if I say, I don't know if Michael's going to go to college, but I don't mean that in a mean way no. or in a defeatist way. I don't, I genuinely don't know. He may, he may not. I have no idea. I mean, and I kind of think it's better as a parent to stay fluid on that um because he's going to have his own path mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a typical path and it's just determining what that path is going to be i mean one of the things i'm a very big proponent of is don't push your kids into something they don't want to do yeah i mean if he's it's not pointless. ready for college don't push him into it i mean my parents threw me into oshkosh right out right out of high school and after my summer semester i just told him i'm not ready i just don't feel like i was ready and i didn't and i went for my bachelor's in 2010 but it was online it made it easier for me i mean that's made something you may want to look at along the lines is online schooling for him for his degree because this way he's got the comforts of home he doesn't have to worry about storming with somebody worrying about if he's going to like this person or that person and then worrying about navigating a, a college campus. Yeah. I don't think he would like that. Well, I, I, yeah. I think he would prefer probably, I mean, just from what I, I, I know of him now, I think he would prefer to be at home. I mean, there are a ton of online schooling courses now for like computer for computer science and stuff. Uh, you can go to um, Coursera and they offer several professional courses through major colleges through computer science degrees and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's what I, I'm going to save up should he want to go, but I, I think you're right. I think it just has to be when he's ready and yeah. what he expresses interest in. I think what shocked my parents the most was in the story goes, we were at our vets taking my, my long loved pug for, um, just to see the vet and the woman and the girl at the dot at the front desk was talking with a friend about a program called across the pond, which is an organization mm-hmm. that helps you choose schools in England through the UK area. So I decided I looked at my mom one day as, as we left and I'm like, should I try for it? She's like, you got nothing to lose. You got nothing here at home right now. So I literally applied to four different college, five different colleges, and I got accepted by four. Oh, wow. That's great. 
And then the big thing that my parent that shocked my parents is I originally wanted to come home, but they pushed me to travel. And I traveled mm. on my own through England, which was a huge thing, considering wow. I have ASD and I've never done anything like this myself. And it just blew their minds that I was able to do this on my own. How old were you when you did that? I was 45. And still, and I still have problems like navigating the world. No, I believe it. I mean, it, I mean well, 45 find... doesn't seem old to me because I'm a little older. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, ah, 45 is nothing. But I mean, I think it takes a, when I think even like of things like potty training, where most neurotypical kids were potty trained around, you know, like four. Um, Michael had a really hard time with it until, God, I can't even remember what age. It was mainly at night, mm. but he got there eventually. And even like what I was saying about the haircuts, you know, Matthew gets in the seat and he's loving it. You know, people fussing with his hair and he's posing and, <laughs> you know, what have you. But Michael got there eventually. And so I just, I think with probably most things, he'll get there eventually. And I think that's what it is for you to do that at 45. It, it makes sense. And, and that's a huge accomplishment. I cannot even imagine um, Michael trying to navigate anything like that. But again, he's only eight. So maybe when he's 45, he'll do the same thing. Yeah, but um, <laughs> one of the other things, how is he like with memorizing your phone number, your address? Because I had a huge story. I mean, my parents told me the story of how when my dad was trying to teach me our own phone number, he'd go, your phone number is four, six, five, four, eight, seven, six. And I could not remember it until my dad said, your phone number is four, six, five, four, eight, seven, six. Now he broke it up. And he broke it up. And even yeah. with my address, he's like, your address is 27. Your address is 2730 West Jarliffe. And I couldn't remember it. Then he goes, your address is two, seven, three, zero. And then I turn around and repeat it. He's actually pretty good with stuff like that almost eerily good and you know it's it's sort of a terrible story but it was it, it's just a, a testament to his skills i think is god this is a long story i'm trying to think of a short way of saying it when we were in brooklyn and he was transitioning into kindergarten it was not handled very well mm. he not by me I, you know, we did all that we could, but they basically put him in public school because in Brooklyn, it's very hard to get into what they call a D75 program. So if you can't get into a program, you go to public school and that public school is supposed to make arrangements for you. And the public school that he ended up at did not make arrangements for him. They did not want him. And they were, um, I'm trying to think of it again, a nice way to put all this, but they were, they basically did things that were unethical. Mm. And so they had me pick him up early every day. They tried to have me put him in a more restrictive environment. So say, you know, they, uh, they recommended 12 to one to one for him, you know, uh, 12 students, one teacher, one para. This principal at this public school was like, Oh, there's a six to one to one. Um, that's opening, which is not appropriate for him. That's more restrictive. And the kids in that class had different needs than Michael. She absolutely wanted him out of the school. And it sounds like kind the of, you're here on TV and the news. 
The ones oh, that yeah, it was horrible. The, the ones that literally throw them into the corner and punish them. That, well, that's exactly what happened. And I, I don't, I think they underestimated, because I, I am very nice and try to be lovely. <laughs> but when I feel like you're either taking advantage of that or you're underestimating me, I don't become mean, but then I'm like, okay, like we're not, we're not doing this anymore. And so the principal did so much. And I think she didn't realize that. I mean, my sister's a teacher, my cousins are teachers. I think she didn't realize that I actually knew what the law was, that you don't put them in a more restrictive environment, that it's illegal to have you uh, ask me to pick him up early. You know, she didn't clear that with the um, superintendent. And so every day I had to pick him up at 11. And what I found out was, I mean, she broke so many laws. You can't, I asked them to open up the IEP, which is, you know, the individual. Yeah, I know that. I have, I've had that when I've dealt with, um, I dealt with the Jewish Vocational Society and even with my own psychiatrist, I had an IEP. Yes. Now, many parents don't know, as soon as you say, I need you to open up the IEP. They legally have to open up the IEP. And this school said, no, let's not do that yet. I asked three times, once in writing, and they wouldn't open it up. So I contacted um, the district, the head of the district, Mm -hmm. and we opened it up that way. And then I proceeded to just make their lives a living hell. (laughs) Well, it sounds like my mother when I went, when I was work, when I was working at the university they worked at, the woman I worked for was my parents' former boss. And she was, she wouldn't hire me right away. My mom got pissed off and said, listen, do not make me go and talk to the media. You do not want to piss me off. Well, that, the district, the woman at the district, who was great, she was like, you know, Jennifer's a writer. She writes for the Huffington Post and Time Magazine. And like, you're going to want to not annoy her. Um, but all of this is to say, I think they underestimated Michael. And Michael, one day I was walking him to school. He was only there for seven days because I could see how bad things were going. Um, and we ended up getting him placed somewhere else. But I was walking him there and he said, I'm in room, say 301. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, you're in room 303. He said, no, I'm in room 301. And when I got there, I looked and 301 was a guidance counselor's office. And that's how I realized they weren't even letting him in the classroom. They would put him in this guidance counselor's office, give him an iPad until I would pick him up at 11, which is also illegal. That's very but wrong. It is. It was, And it was so upsetting. And I hated dropping him off there, but I needed to in order to go tour other schools to see if he could go there anyway. But it was, it's because of that memory and his skill to actually like be like, oh, okay, I take bus K-12 or, you know, he does, he is able to do that. He kind of gave me uh, inside information that they didn't think he was capable of doing. And when I said that they weren't even letting him in the classroom, I mean, it was a, it was a big thing. And to just finish that whole story, they ended up moving him to this 12 to one to one program that was very, very good. We loved it. And I kept contacting the district 
And they said, we, we placed your son. Why are you still contacting us? And I said, because she, this principal, is going to do this to another child on the spectrum. Like it goes beyond me just being happy that my son's taken care of, which I was, but they couldn't understand that I was trying to advocate for the next parent mm. because what she did was wrong. And luckily she ended up doing an early retirement at the end of that year, but it just shows you, you know, to share, you've been so lovely sharing your perspective. As a parent, you really have to be so diligent and aware of your rights. Um, on your own, because again, even like appealing his early intervention, uh, you know, opening up the IEP with the district, if you have to, you really have to be so on it um, to make sure that people are giving your child the access to whatever resources or tools they need, or even just being treated respectfully. I mean, yeah, parents really need to be advocates for their children, especially if they're on the spectrum. Because it's so important nowadays because autism is a big thing. I mean, when I first was being diagnosed, it was very small in Chicago or in Illinois that it wasn't recognized by the state at that time. And my mom's like, maybe that's why we got denied for Social Security. And that's another thing I want to talk to you about is when he starts getting older, you and your husband may want to take Michael and sit down and say, listen, we want to, we're going to put you on, we're going to get you social security because you're on the spectrum and this will bring money into the house in case he can't find work. Right. So he'll be make, he'll be getting around five to $600 a month. And then the key thing is he needs to make sure you need to make sure that he's only got under $2,000 at all times that when you, when you're ready to apply, because the way social security sees it is that it's a latch ditch effort if he can't find work. And the rules are that you need to have under two grand. Oh, wow. I mean, I literally had to take my life insurance, which is just over two grand and give my brother control over it. It's oh, still wow. mine, but I have no control of it, but it's, I'm still insured. Yeah. I mean, my mother and I literally hired a disability lawyer to get me on there. I went in front of a judge and we explained, listen, I can't get work because I have problems with talking and not knowing what's right or wrong. And I need a place where I can't, I work with people and they had a vocational um, specialist there who was going through all these lists of jobs and we're like, well, every one of those jobs you have there, he's, you're working with people, even a mail carrier, you're dealing with somebody. Right. So, and then what happened was I won full, the full spectrum, but because of my insurance, I didn't get my back pay, which was $5,000, oh. but I was getting yeah. everything else. And then we talked wow. to a lawyer friend of my brother's and my mom's like, should I say something or try to fight to get that back pain? She's like, no, because if you do, you may open up a can of worms and they could look back at everything and see that he did work at one point and take it all away. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. It's like a bizarre board game. Yes, it is. Because the minute you get on Social Security, it's like they don't want to give you that money. Unless yeah. you can prove to them, listen, I can't find work. 
Yeah. And that's something else in one of the articles they were talking about how people on the spectrum, I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but it's it's very difficult for people on the spectrum to get work. It is. I mean, there are companies like Microsoft and a couple other companies that have programs for autistics, but these are like the very brightest, the bright of those of who are on the spectrum who are like really high up. But they're not counting those of us who not only have ASD, but have a have ADHD as well and have problems with math. These are those like your son who are good with numbers. Right. They but don't bad have, with people. Yeah, and bad with people. <laughs> so there needs to be more companies. I mean, I'm trying to get our president elect to talk on my show and ask him what he wants to do with to help those of us who are on the disability who can't find work. I'm hoping to hear from him. I think would be, you know, he did have his own stuttering issue. Um, And so I think he would be very compassionate to that. And and there was one family I wrote about that started a whole car wash business just to employ their son. That just blew my mind. And I remember they started, it was something about the son love washing cars or something. And and they just opened a few and they expanded all over. It's all over now. Yeah, it's and it's just incredible. I love that family. I have such respect for them. What they did was so beautiful, and the son loves it. The customers, you know, know the, what Rising Tide is all about. That's the name of the car wash. It's it's amazing. I, I wish I could do something like that for Michael. You know, it just. I mean, wait. Till I think you have to get creative. I mean, the best thing for Michael is wait till he starts getting older and see what his interests are. Because as you yeah. start getting older, you're going to start to see what he finds, what his focus is on, what he likes. If he likes to do things with numbers, yeah. if he likes drawing, if he likes computers. And then and then he's slowly going to start to hone in that hyper focus on one thing. And then that light bulb's going to go off in your head and go, oh, he likes doing this. Maybe we can see if we can get him a job doing this or that or even doing his own thing. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I think it's funny after this, um, I'm, I'm doing this interview where they're talking that I basically have to share what is a silver lining for 2020 this year (laughs) and which is really difficult to think of, but I actually think one of the highlights is because we were all home and dealing with so much stress and again, Michael being, you know, kind of thrown into a new routine and unpredictability and so much of, uh, of everything just being disturbed. I think we had to get creative in finding Mm -hmm. solutions to help him cope. And I do think even though it was, it was really stressful. I think some of the tools that we employed or tried or learned during this time, we can now use for the rest of our lives. But I think that's the key to autism in general, as a parent, I should say, that you just have to keep trying things, see what works, be patient, and stay open to whatever presents itself. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, as you get, as he's going to get older, and as you watch him grow, you're going to find he's going to have, his focus will waver until he finds something, and then you're going to understand this, and maybe you can, you and your husband can think, hey, do you want to do this, or do you want to go and do your own thing? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I unfortunately have to start to wrap it up. That's fine. But uh, I really want, I just, this has been so great. Anytime you ever want to talk, let me know. <laughs> well, vice versa. Anytime you need advice or just want to chat. Or if he yeah, does something I mean, you need to, or if he does something you want to you want to explain, just drop me an email. Thank you. I will because this really you've offered so much. I really once this airs, I want my husband to hear it because um, you, you've definitely given me a lot to. It's just like I said to me. I I always say Michael's like a human Rubik's cube, and you just have to find the right combination to him mm -hmm. and. and yeah, this has just been really amazing, I mean, and I so appreciate it. I mean, the biggest thing is remember when he has a meltdown, let him be. Yeah, because you're just waiting for his mind to reset and then come back. It's like booting yeah. a computer up for the first time, waiting for it to finally load and then ready for you to use it. That's what I was gonna say. The blue screen that you mentioned, and also that they don't see gray. That's that's the two biggest things. We don't. Yeah, my mom's always said your biggest. With me, your biggest problem is you don't see that gray area. All you see is right or wrong. And right. you're always, that's why he's always trying to correct you when you and your husband are doing something or always wanting to be part of something is because he feels he needs to justify why so-and-so was wrong, why your other son was wrong, or why this kid yeah. was wrong is because he doesn't think, oh, wait, the teacher is doing it. I don't need to be involved. Yeah, it's it, and you would think because when I've read about triggers, this is not usually one of them. It's a very unique trigger. Like it's not that we did something to him; it's that he's observing someone else doing something wrong, and it really upsets him. They made him a um, um, oh god, you know, like a storyboard book yeah. at school mm -hmm. to kind of show him that if the kid is having is if the kid is crying, if the kid is upset. The teacher will handle it. He really feels like he has to get involved. Yeah, that's a big thing. Um, when what, do, are you like on social media? I'm on Facebook. You can go to AspergerZone.com or as, okay. go to Facebook and then just do slash AspergerZone. And then okay, I have my blog, which is AspergerZone.com. And that's where the okay. podcast is listed. I'm also on Google, uh, Google Podcasts. Okay. I want to, I definitely want to stay connected. Yeah. And then in terms of the recording. This will probably go up tomorrow or the next day. Oh, okay. I, don't I was going to say, do you need, do you need me to send anything or do you think you got it? it looks, I, I probably it have, like it'll save it on my machine. Oh, good. And then okay. I will if send not, you a link to the video recording and that will be your private link to it. It won't, no one else will see it. Okay. All right. It's a shame you've got a great backdrop. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Please, please, please keep in touch. I'm definitely going to check in on you periodically and yeah, I mean, even give you a question. Have, or two. have your husband and Michael and you read my blog because I have so many great articles up about so many things like hope and being unique and knowing your triggers and a self-care guide. Oh, yeah, that's great. And he can read. He just doesn't read, but he can read. Yeah. And then, I mean, then <laughs> um, I also have my reading room blog, which is just like six or seven minutes of me talking about different topics. Like I talked about how I got on my ASD medicine, not my ASD, my ADHD medicine. I talked about why being unique is different. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, again, you're doing an amazing job and I truly, truly thank you. And I thank you for coming on. Uh, okay. I will talk to you soon. I'm going to sign off, but let me know. We live on board.